Hi, everyone. My name is Christopher Bruce. I'm a divorce lawyer with the Bruce Law Firm in South Florida. And today I have the pleasure of being joined by Deborah Barrero. She is a therapist in the Palm Beach Gardens area. And today we're talking about a topic that I think is really important, sometimes misunderstood, and um, that's uh, codependency, more specifically, um, how to avoid harmful codependent um, behaviors in relationships. So I think it's going to be a really interesting, um, useful topic. We're going to debunk maybe a few myths. And um, before we really get into it, um, Deborah, maybe uh, just uh, tell a little bit about your background and experience and how you came to be um, doing this type of stuff. So I have been wanting to be a therapist since I was about nine years old. Um, but then, you know, life took its many turns and, um, I actually had my own recovery journey to go through. Um, and once I, uh, felt strong enough or felt recovered, if you will, um, I went back and got my master's about 10 years ago and became a therapist. Um, and I started in the addiction field. Uh, because in South Florida, that's really where you get most of your training. Um, and then after five years of doing inpatient residential treatment, I moved into private practice because I recognized that <clears throat> a lot of the, it's fine to be sober. It's great to be sober, but, but even though there's a lot of healing and becoming sober, the reasons for why these people drank or did drugs or were codependents, et cetera, those are all the deep wounds that don't get addressed in recovery, like AA, et cetera. So I decided that I wanted to help people move past early recovery and into a really fulfilling life. Well, that is an amazing story. And I mean, I, I think you kind of have the, the same ultimate goal um, as I do and my lawyers do. And that's trying to just get people to a better place being happier. Um, so it's really cool to talk to uh, somebody with a similar purpose. Um, so codependency, there is a lot of talk about it. What is it? What is it really? Um, so, I mean, what is what does it actually mean from somebody who has a degree in this stuff? What does it mean to be codependent? So the word codependent is a little bit, you know, cycle babble coming out of literature, different um, different therapists and different psychologists that have written books. The term actually was coined by Al-Anon. Um, which is the sister to Alcoholics Anonymous. So it yeah. used to be that the men would go to their meeting at, at Bill Wilson's house, and then the women would sit around the kitchen and have coffee. And then eventually they all recognized that they had a lot of similar traits. Um, and so they founded Al-Anon. So Al-Anon is the first one that starts addressing these traits. And I think it was like in the 40s. Um, now we know something a little further than that and what it really is 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 part of an attachment disorder um okay. which we'll talk more about um and it's called enmeshment actually but to to simplify it what it really is is people that are people pleasers um they don't have boundaries they are scared to say no they're scared to say how they feel um they lack identity um they're fearful or have a hard time standing up for themselves they're over caring um 
they have a primary concern of either fitting in, being accepted, being loved. Um, they say sorry a lot, not always, but a lot of them are sorry, you know, sorry, sorry for existing essentially. Um, and then they become, you know, not only people pleasers, but people carers, which then causes burnout, resentments, um, you know, because people aren't returning the favor of what you did, etc. Um, mostly when they come into my office, one of the first things they'll tell me is that they love making people happy, like big smile. Yeah. This is who I am. This is my identity. I'm a helper. I love people, you know, helping people. Um, and that's actually not the case. <laughs> However, codependents, you know, enmeshed people have um, a lot of uh, positive qualities. I would imagine. So, I mean, I'm hearing part of what you're saying, and I mean, some of it kind of. There's not right. There's not. It doesn't nice sound people, yeah. so terrible, right? Um, so they do a lot of service. They're very loving. They compromise. They are listeners. They're very concerned with fairness. They're peacemakers. Um, the problem is that they lose their identities. So, and, and that's, I think what we're going to focus on in a little bit. And I, like, I have my own suspicions just from my, my law practice. Um, you know, we see many similarities with um, people who exhibit certain behaviors. And I mean, I, I do believe we're all special snowflakes and a little bit different, but are there any commonalities um, between, um, you know, for lack of a better uh, term, what, what, contributes to somebody having uh, codependent characteristics in adulthood? Yeah, so, so it all starts in childhood. Um, and generally speaking, you know, there, the word trauma gets thrown around a lot. And most mm -hmm. people think of the word trauma in, in childhood as, you know, getting beaten, uh, you know, extreme behaviors, same with the word neglect, neglect kind of, at least for me, it makes me think of like the little kids in the, ca in the cages that are, you know, but there's all of that, that, those are physical things. There's, there's emotional trauma, emotional neglect, etc. So when we grow up in homes that aren't necessarily abusive, um, however, there is a lack of emotional needs being met. So, um, it could be, it could be as simple as a parent having cancer. Yeah. Right. And the other parent is very busy take, or another, one of the siblings having cancer. It doesn't necessarily mean abuse in the traditional sense. However, there are trauma experiences. And so it, it. It comes from a it comes from a a study in '99 from Kaiser Permanente called the ACE study, which is a seminal study in its time. Adverse childhood experiences is what ACE stands for because they wanted to get away from the trauma, the word trauma, mm -hmm. right? Because if your parent has cancer and survives and is fine, that's not a traumatic event, but that's an adverse experience oh, in yeah. your life. So so we have to be kind of i we use the word trauma but it's not the traditional idea of getting beaten etc right that makes sense um so there's a so neglect for example emotional neglect we'll go back to the parent with cancer 
if you're sad about something that's going on at school and your parent, your, your mother is so busy with your father, who's really, really ill that day. And you're upset about something and you go to mom and you say, mom, I'm so upset at something that happened in school. And your mom blows you off because she's a human and she's got a whole bunch of, the child doesn't interpret that as mm -hmm. mom's busy. The child interprets that because they're very self-centered um, as a survival skill. The child interprets that as something's wrong with me. I must need too much. I'm not lovable, blah, blah, blah. So there's different interpretations that the child makes. Um, and usually the child, because the child can't blame the parent. If the child blames the parent, then if you really follow that thought all the way through, we are completely dependent on our caregivers. If our caregivers are wrong, broken, abusive, then we will probably die and our brains won't really let us go there. So we turn it in on ourselves and by the form of shame. So we shame ourselves and it's, it's a way of turning blame into tolerable. So um, it starts with, for example, um, a child that protests, a child that talks, talks back, a child that says no. Um, those things are unacceptable in homes of that, that kind of dysfunction. Mm -hmm. um, and so no becomes a, a bad word. Standing up for yourself becomes a bad word. Uh, asking for your needs to be met is is a definite no-no. So you essentially collapse in on yourself. You, you learn not to be assertive. You learn to let go of your needs in order to, you, you develop a strategy essentially to try to get your needs met. So if mom is taking care of dad and you know mom is uh, really thirsty, so you go get her a glass of water and you give her the, and mom says, thank you so much, sweetheart. You're such a good, bingo. Now I know mm -hmm. how to get mom to pay attention to me and to love me. So I become servile, right? Um, and so that then translates to adulthood of a person that negates themselves, lacks assertiveness, is fearful of saying no. Um, the other thing that's important to note is that alcoholism, substance use disorder, and narcissism are very similar in what they look like and in, in how they present in, uh, you know, in the world. So oftentimes if we would have someone come in with a substance use disorder, um, I, I wouldn't be able to say that they were narcissists until they were at least three to six months sober because an alcoholic looks like a narcissist, but is not. Yeah. So what, what the opposite side of the co coin, if you have a narcissist or, or a alcoholic or a substance user, blah, blah, blah. If, if this is that side, then the opposite side is codependency. So they okay. kind of fit in together. So very often a codependent will marry a narcissist or a codependent will marry an alcoholic. Back to Al-Anon AA, all these women sitting in the kitchen recognizing that they had the same, you know, the same responses. But also it should be noted that we've all heard of fight, flight, freeze response. 
um, which are trauma responses from childhood experiences, which we then, it's like a strategy we learn to use, whether we're a fighter or Mm -hmm. we run away or whatever. Everyone talks about fight, flight, freeze, but nobody talks about fawn. Fawn is codependency. So there's actually four F's. Everybody taught, like I said, everyone talks about the three, but there's actually the fourth, which is codependency. So the bottom line is that they, they, they forget to bring themselves into the picture. They lose their identity. Um, To give you a very simple uh, example, uh, if I invite you to a party that you know you cannot go to because you have other plans, saying no to me, I'm so sorry, I can't go to your party is really hard for a codependent. They'll make an, they'll make a sort of excuse to try to figure out how not to upset you, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't want to, I don't want to reject them inviting me to the party because if i reject go you know the party then that means they're going to maybe think that i'm rejecting them then they're not going to like me and then they'll never invite me to a party again and then they'll never have friends so yeah. i'm not saying no i'm like oh i'm so i'm busy but i'll try to stop by and then what happens is you're expecting me at the party i never intended to go then you're up now you really are upset which was what i was trying to avoid to begin with so how in, in this, um, I did my best to prepare you for the interview, and this wasn't on the list of questions, but I, I figure you, you might know the answer. How, how do the, the people with the codependent traits end up um, marrying, you know, the narcissist or the, the alcoholic um, type people with, um, you know, some degree of regularity? And I mean, I would agree with you because we look at, you know, the, a lot of our relationships when we identify somebody that has narcissistic um, traits usually their their spouse our our client is falls into basically the person you just described and they're wonderful people i mean it's wonderful it's people. joy to, to represent um and help but how, how does this uh the yin and yang attraction thing end up yeah it's really if, interesting you know? yeah it's really interesting well generally speaking and obviously you know this is a very general statement but codependents grow up in homes with narcissists or alcoholics or some sort of compulsive disorder. Um, So they, again, they learn these traits in early childhood. And, and the question is, am I lovable for who I am? Just being me. And in a narcissistic home, no, you're not. You, you're lovable because you bring me something, you bring something to the table. So this is kind of a little deeper and complicated, but in a subconscious way, we all have this problem to fix. So the the childhood problem was I'm not lovable. And so now I'm gonna try to fix the problem. So we pick people. This is like the joke where you marry your parents, you marry your mother, we pick people that look even though we don't see it, we do definitely do not see it. I mean, it's usually decades later that you go, oh my God, there it is. But we marry people that have the same characteristics that are as our parents, because we're trying to figure out the problem of being loved. So this time, if I'm really nice, if I'm, you know, make their life easy, if I support them in becoming rock stars or whatever, then I will be loved the way. But the problem is that 
it's the wrong version of love because you're negating yourself in order to be accepted. So it's, and then the narcissist needs a constant ego boost, right? The narcissist is like an empty bucket with a hole at the bottom of it that can never be filled. And the codependent has no problem saying yes to everything. Oh, you're wonderful. Whatever, because there's fear that if I upset the narcissist, then I won't be loved. And so it's a coping strategy, codependence or, you know, fawn types really correctly called fawn types will negate themselves in order to find love, get acceptance from the narcissist. Meanwhile, the narcissist is, you know, it's fabulous for them because they have someone that's stroking their ego. So if we throw a couple of decades on um, this issue, um, maybe think of somebody, you know, married 20 years, um, 30 years, how, you know, how, how do these codependent type behaviors um, show up in those relationships? And, and what do they, I mean, what do they cause for the person that, uh, issues do they cause for the person that's exhibiting these behaviors? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, it shows up in so many different ways. Um, one of the, you know, the biggest way really is what I notice is when I have codependent types come into my office, they, if you ask them a lot of questions about who they are, they don't know very well. It reminds me of, I don't know if you remember the movie, uh, when Harry met Sally and mm -hmm the diner scene but it's a different diner scene the diner scene where she doesn't know how she likes her eggs because depending on the boyfriend she either had him sunny side up or scrambled or whatever and so she's at a restaurant and now she's single and she doesn't know what i mean that's a very simplified version of it but they don't they first they lose themselves they become naggers they become the type, so let's say that, that a, uh, uh, this person is married to an alcoholic, they will look, for example, the alcoholic is drunk, the codependent knows that the alcoholic is drunk, the, the alcoholic is denying that they're drunk, so the alcoholic, need, I mean, the codependent will go and look for bottles and will search the house for bottles to prove that they're not crazy. See, the vodka bottle was here yesterday and now it's here. And so they become really obsessed with the other person. Um, and again, the biggest, the biggest problem is a complete loss of identity, a loss of boundaries. And, and there's a lot of talk of self-esteem. It's not so much of a loss of self-esteem, it's a loss of self-worth. Really? Or a lack, maybe there was not self-worth to begin with when they got into that relationship, right? Specifically with narcissists, what they do is they love bomb you first. So for a codependent, it's like, wow, yeah, the, finally somebody sees me and loves me for who I am. And then the narcissist turns and you go right into that, you know, how do I get them to love mm -hmm. me? So the biggest problem that codependents have is a lack of boundaries, a lack of a sense of self. They usually are burnt out because they're taking care of everybody else. They have, they practice no self-care. Um, they think that their self-care is taking care of others. I see. Right. So I love helping people. That's what I do. You know, I go to, I, when you ask them, what do you practice self-care? Oh, I volunteer at six different places and 
So if somebody's listening to this and they're like, hmm, maybe this is me, um, or I, I have some some signs of, of this, um, I mean, what, what advice do you have? And I, I imagine it's not like just a, a boom, push it easy, but, but I mean, what's, what's your best tips for um, having them minimize this type of, of behavior um, in, in their relationships? Um, so the, the, the problem, like I said, is boundaries, right? So what we need to go to boundaries to so a lot of people think that boundaries is me saying to you hey bruce i don't like it when you speak to me that way Mm -hmm. okay that's actually not a boundary a lot of people think that that's a boundary because i'm making a statement of how i would like for you to treat me the boundary is in how i keep the boundary so codependents make the mistake a lot so first we'll talk about setting a boundary and then they'll blame the other person who hasn't kept the boundary. Well, I told them not to blah, 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 right? The, the issue is that it's up to the codependent to keep the boundary. So to give you, and this is the hardest part for a codependent, to give you an example, if I say, hey, Bruce, please, uh, excuse me, Chris, please don't speak to me that way. Um, and then you go and do it 30 seconds later, my job it, with good boundaries is to say, I'm sorry, I'm no longer going to tolerate this and get up and leave. I don't allow okay. it to happen, right? So again, people think that a boundary is me telling you how I want you to treat me, when in fact, a, that's just a statement. That's just yeah. me letting you know. A boundary is me doing something about it. So boundaries are really hard because for a codependent to say, I'm removing myself from, I'm removing myself from your acceptance, your love, your tolerance to protect me is the antithesis of how they became enmeshed to begin with, which was how do I make you happy so I can be accepted, loved? So it's doing the opposite of what you're doing, but it's really, really hard because there is a major threat that started when you were a child. So if you said no to your parents and they got mad, then as a child, it was extremely threatening. They won't love me. They'll kick me out of the house. I'll never you know, be able to sleep warmly again or have food. And so that level of threat in the nervous system, it stores in the nervous system, then someone violates my boundary and I don't know how to do anything about it because I was never taught in childhood wow so i mean it just i'm just thinking as a as a professional like being trying to be in your shoes and you're working with um you know somebody that might have these codependent uh or codependency um, type traits or just the personality i mean it, it really sounds like you possibly might have to work with them to undo a system of beliefs that's been ingrained in them since they were little girls and little boys yeah yeah that's my that is in fact what i do we first the first part to it is psychoeducation a little bit of what we're doing now because there's all the shame involved and lack of self-worth involved and when people finally find out oh this is actually an adaptive coping skill that i learned i was very smart as a child oh i know yeah i mean love me right It's, it's brilliant the problem is at age seven it works 
at age 50 it or 30 it no longer works so um first we i do a lot of psychoeducation which takes away a lot of the shame then we go look for the the core wound what is the wound is the wound that you don't feel accepted that you're not lovable that whatever message you think you received and then we start working through that wound while at the same time going into the daily so let's say you and i meet weekly you'll tell me something that happened this week and then we'll break it down like literally thought by thought and identify aha here's where you lost yourself and how do we regain yourself okay what could you have said differently to make you feel powerful instead of walking away collapsed or in shame so assertiveness but proper assertiveness um being able to to you know stand into who you are what your needs are etc that's where the healing is the healing is in saying there's nothing wrong with me i deserve to be loved I deserve to be respected. I deserve to be treated with kindness for the simple fact that I'm living on this earth and I'm a human being. In fact, even animals, right? Even dog, our pets are, are deserving of love, kindness, and respect. We don't, the codependents don't think that they are. So, you know, you've talked about, I guess, kind of starting to develop tools to establish a sense of self-worth, um, setting boundaries, real boundaries, um, not just statements, any other, you know, main strategies that, that somebody uh, that, that might have these codependent traits might try to implement in, in their relationships just to, you know, avoid situations that are ultimately destructive to them? Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's, it depends, right, if you're doing it with a therapist or not, but there's mm -hmm. a, a lot that happens with self-talk. I mean, if we, we haven't talked at all about the brain or the nervous system, but if we're talking about the brain, what we're talking about is neural pathways. So these pathways that have been built over many decades that say that if if I want to make you happy, I will, you know, defer to you. So in therapy or psychoeducation reading, uh, I'll, I'll give later in a minute, I'll give some uh, uh, su community support groups that mm -hmm. people can attend for those that don't want to go to therapy or can't go to therapy. Within that scope, um, you learn different strategies. One of the big strategies that works for people with what we're actually talking about is developmental childhood trauma um, or CPTSD, complex PTSD, because it's, it's a long length. Those people, uh, the way that they can start figuring it out is through uh, self-talk. I am important. I deserve to be heard. Uh, it's okay for me not to be loved by everyone. It's okay for me not to be accepted by everyone. Um, so the, so there's a lot of self-talk. There's There has to be some sort of validation or connection to another person. And, and I don't mean to imply, because this is like the downfall of the codependent, is that, well, get into another relationship and that will heal you that no, a lot yeah. of codependents do that and they just repeat the pattern and going back into a shame death spiral etc i'm talking about friendships 
I'm talking about people that validate your experiences, people that you feel connected to, people that are not threatening. So sometimes relationships are threatening. Are they going to leave me? Are they not going to leave me? Mm -hmm. What do I need to do? Blah, blah. Whereas a friendship, you, hopefully you feel validated and connected to the person. Just having someone go, wow, I'm sorry that happened to you or validate your experience. Actually, there is a tremendous amount of healing in that. That's interesting. And, um, I guess on the, the scope of friends, I, or did I go into yeah, it? Yeah. Oh, definitely. And, you know, it kind of leads me to something else. Um, you know, I've been amazed and, and, and my wife also, we, we do a lot of the initial meetings with people that they come to the firm, especially Ashley now. And, um, oftentimes the people that are in the worst relationships, they, they, sometimes they come, um, with a friend and, um, that makes me think maybe some of those friends are, are, are watching this. And, you know, if, you know, it, for people out there that have a friend going, they, they think, okay, this, this episode is, is about Susie or, or whatever. Um, do you have any tips for them? And, and maybe, I guess, broaching the topic of some of this stuff to help their purse, their, their friend be happier just in life um, or in their relationship even? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the word, the, here's the issue that I think I have, and that is that the word codependent gets thrown around so much that then what the, you know, you tell someone, oh, you're a codependent, and it's almost like an insult. Yeah. Um, when in fact, we, we just kind of discussed, it's a brilliant coping strategy. Uh, yeah, people just to make other people happy. I mean, it's yeah, it's, it's a it's a great way to survive childhood when that's what you need, right? Um, the best way to support a friend that is going through that is kind of what I said before. There's there has to be a lot of support, a lot of I see you, um, a lot of you deserve better. You're deserving of more than this, um, but strong encouragement into some sort of therapy or some sort of community support. Um, and I'll go ahead and, and name those. Um, yeah. So I discussed Al-Anon already. Um, and Al-Anon is not just for those that are, it used to be if you're married to an alcoholic, it, it could it could be any, any reason to go to Al-Anon. It doesn't necessarily have to be alcoholics. There's, by the way, there's Alateen, which is for teenagers that really? are raised in dysfunctional or alcoholic homes. So they learn the same type of strategies. Um, <clears throat> so that's one. Then there's CODA, which is Codependence Anonymous, similar to Al-Anon. Um, there is, I'm space, oh, there's ACOA. So this one is called Adult Children of Alcoholics and then parentheses and dysfunctional families because not everybody was raised yeah. in an alcoholic home. I have clients, for example, whose father was dying of cancer for six years. That that has made them all codependent because they have to take care of dad, take care of mom, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So the cool thing about ACOA, Adult Children of Alcoholics, is whereas Al-Anon and CODA is really focused on codependency, um, ACOA is actually on all four of the four types. So fight, fright, freeze, fawn, because we're not, codependents are not codependents or fawns all the time. Sometimes yeah. they become freezers, sometimes they're flights. 
So ACO, an ACOA is, is like a newer program, if you will, and it uses something called IFS theory, which is internal family systems. You've heard of the inner child. Mm -hmm. So the inner child work, that, that happens a lot in ACOA, where we talk about the kid that's stuck in their parents' home that's fearful of saying no, because he might get hit or he might get insulted. So um, friends helping codependent friends, I would say, is just being there. Yeah. And not turning codependent themselves. <laughs> you know? So um, I think that's great advice. And I, you know, those resources, um, I learned uh, a couple more. So um, made my afternoon. Yeah, ACOA uh, is, is the one now because it's the newest and it's using, now research is really showing that internal family systems, IFS is a really good treatment modality for uh, CPT for complex PTSD, which is what we're actually talking about. Um, so ACOA is great for that. And then there's a ton, as I said, psychoeducation is super important because for the longest time we shame ourselves, right? First mm -hmm. we shame ourselves as children because we're not lovable because our parents can't meet our needs. And then we shame ourselves because, oh my God, I'm always helping others or I'm always, whatever it is. So the first thing we do is psychoeducation. Why are you doing that? And when the answer becomes apparent, then the shame can kind of dissipate because like like i've said it's a brilliant coping skill yeah it just becomes maladaptive once we go into adult relationships and we become servile or we disappear in our relationship as adults um so there's some great books out there there's a ton out there there's uh there's i'll just shoot them off really off the top of my head there's uh facing codependence codependent no more um then there's books that are really on complex trauma so complex ptsd from thriving to from surviving to thriving uh the drama of the gifted child is a really good one about codependency um the body keeps the score is more scientific as to what's going on in the brain and in the nervous yeah. system but it's brilliant and then oprah recently came out with a book that she wrote uh in conjunction with a doctor whose name i think is bruce perry uh and it's called what happened to you and actually the title is fabulous because instead of what's wrong with you it's what happened to you that these are the strategies yeah. that you're using in adulthood right so Psychoeducation, I think, is super important. I spend a lot of time on that. So when it comes to the, the therapy, um, I guess I'll take a step back. Like in our, our law practice, when we have somebody come to us and they're married to somebody that's just, um, whether they're a true narcissist or not, they just, they have the qualities that we know professionally are going to make the divorce typically a difficult one when you throw in money or other other pressure points. When we identify a client that that might, you know, have a lot of the qualities of kind of the person we're, we're talking about here. Usually what we tell them is, look, um, you know, unless there's a real imminent legal reason to do something with the divorce soon, which almost always there never is, um, we tell them, look, you really need to find a really good uh, therapist, maybe a coach, probably a therapist, really, because a lot of this stuff's more deep rooted. And 
educate yourself on this stuff, probably do it six months to a year so that you can be on a, a better foundation for, for moving on, or it just doesn't, the divorce might not go as, as well as it could. But I, I think a lot of people, they hear that advice, they listen to it, but some of them, they just really don't know it. I mean, a therapist like you does um, for people yeah. like them. So, so what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had a lot of clients, actually, I, I work with another law firm that that sends me exactly the type of client. Um, and it's actually, they're my favorite clients because they show, they come to the first session, usually pretty broken, um, mm -hmm. really not knowing who they are anymore, having been, you know, gaslighted and, you know, really emotionally abused to the point where they don't know up from down. So, um, I worked, I work really hard for several months on their self-worth. Mm -hmm. uh, once, once we get the self-worth just even bubbling a little bit, then they become assertive and then they're actually able to help you yeah. tell you what they want, tell you and fight, fight, right? Instead of collapsing every time uh, the narcissist files another motion they fall apart again and and they can't even really tell you what they want to do by the time i work with them they're assertive enough to say oh heck no yeah i'm not that's not, i'm not doing that no but he can't do that to me i deserve more so i get them into not fighting but into self-worth into empowerment into assertiveness into the power of my life I get to make decisions as to what I want to do in my life instead of defaulting to someone yeah. else. So I empower them to then come to you and say, no, I won't do this. Yes, I will do this. No, I won't do that. Sounds like pretty useful to me, which is, I guess, yeah. what we recommended. Um, but then, yeah, thanks for demystifying that. Because I think, you know, there's still, it's changing, but there's just a little bit of stigma as to what therapy is people think that maybe there's something wrong with them and I mean I tell them I mean so's my wife like look sometimes we're calling it therapy but it's 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 really teaching you skills for for dealing yeah. with yourself and situations it's not not getting treated for having something wrong it's just speeding up a, a process of, of really making things better for yourself so I'm, I'm glad you elaborated on that and um you know for those that are listening to this um and they're thinking huh this is me and I like this, Deborah. She kind of seems to know what she's talking about. That's how I feel right here. Um, how um, we'll put the information up and have it on the show notes page, but um, maybe talk for a minute about how um, people can get in uh, touch with you, where to find you, um, um, and uh, all that fun stuff. Yeah. So um, I have a website, and it is uh, wisemind.org. Um, because actually, if you take the emotional mind, it's this is a DBT skill. If you take the emotional mind and the rational mind and you put them together, then you're oh, the whole person. You're you're taking care of your inner world while taking care of the outside world. So wisemind.org. Uh, um, uh, they can uh, reach me through my email address, obviously. De so also, sorry, it's Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H, L as in Larry, M as in Mary, H as in Harry, C as in Charlie at gmail.com. So Deborah, L-M-H-C.com. Um, 
yeah oh and my phone number is 561-707-8600 i work i do have an office that i work out of um off of north lake um but i also generally do a lot of telehealth i have okay. clients all over florida i have a, a big uh group in jacksonville that i work with um so I, I, if you're not in Palm Beach County, I'm still more than happy to help. Um, I bet is perfect. And, um, you know, we're, um, I guess, uh, coming close to our, our time. So we'll um, go in a minute. But do you have any other uh, parting tips of advice for um, people that uh, might be resonating with what you're talking about here? You know, I really like the idea that you or what you said about therapy having this stigma and we're slowly coming out of it. Um, you know, a lot of people think, oh my God, I'm not crazy. I'm not going to go to therapy. I'm not crazy. Yeah. So there is no crazy. They're all, we're, we're all just, you know, as there's a saying, we're all just humans having a human experience. And some of the things that we do, we have no concept of why we do what we do. So a lot of therapy isn't about treating crazy. It's about helping you figure out Oh, that's why I can't. That's why every time someone invites yeah. me to a party, I freak out and can't say no. Ah, okay, I'm not crazy. I just have a hard time displeasing people, right? So, um, thank you for bringing that up because it is it is something that is not a problem, but a lot of people have this stigma. Um, I don't actually treat off the top of my head. I don't treat crazy. <laughs> I treat strategies that don't work anymore. Well, Deborah, um, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this today. I think uh, this has been uh, pretty awesome. I think there's a lot of helpful information here. And um, for those listening, um, take the time to look at the uh, the website that uh, this is hosted on. We'll have some of the um, information for Deborah, some of the resources she talked about. And um, thank you for being part of this, Deborah. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to do some of this psychoeducation, which I love to do and taking the stigma out. So thank you for having me.